This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Profiles and Risk. My name is Nick Lamparelli. Today, I am trying something new. Today will be the first live broadcast of a full interview with with someone I respect, someone who's written an article for INS Nerds, and when I read the story, I realized I had to talk to him, and more importantly, he lives in the town that I grew up. My guest is uh, John Bachman, who's a supervisor of claims at Central Insurance Companies, correct? That is correct. So, John, welcome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You, you live in my hometown, so we're at a restaurant like less than a mile from where I grew up. Uh, so we were in, this, was, this was going to happen. This was going to be a natural. But the specific reason I wanted to talk to you was because of the article that you wrote. And I kind of want to get into your claims career and kind of talk about that. But let's, let's start with that article. There was a, you mentioned a specific incident in the article where there was a severe accident, there was a fatality, and someone, uh, the wife, was uh, had the had the neck halo. Let's go back to that day and go back to the emotions that was going around because that was like your one of your first cases, right? It wasn't one of my first cases, but it was one of the first cases that really meant something. So, little background on it: it was a motor vehicle accident, husband and wife. It was a Dodge Viper that the husband was speeding. Yes, yes, and and he ended up rolling the vehicle over. He died instantly. Wife was stuck in there next to her husband. She ended up having uh, several fractures in her neck, was in a halo, which was supposed to be for, I believe, six months. It ended up being a lot more than that. So when I got the claim, it was just another day. I received a claim that said it's a rollover motor vehicle accident and serious injuries, and that's how it was left. And I kind of went into it, uh, just any other claim, it's another claim number, I'm going to have to put up high reserves, and how am I going to resolve this? And then I got on the phone with Mrs., because it came in a little after the fact, and she started telling me the story about how her husband died, and and how serious it was, uh, and what kind of tough road she was going to face. And at that point, it was like, man, I have such impact on this woman's life. And yeah, I still have to handle her claim, but I got to help her through this all the way through. And it was it was a it was a long road. I, I handled that claim for well over a year. And yeah, we're supposed to follow up every 30 days on files. Did I on all my other files? Maybe not. But on her, I, I made it a point. We spoke every month, and she told me some unbelievable stories about her relationship with her husband, the life they lived together, and then it started getting into these great stories about their camping trips. And then it got into tears on both sides of, you know, my last one was 
on this state and I'm never going to have a Columbus Day camping trip with him again. And, and just being there to listen, I knew I was making an impact on her life. And, and it meant so much to her, but it meant a lot to me too, because I realized that insurance was a hell of a lot more than what it was previously, where I was just settling claims. I was helping people at this point. So before that, this was your first like monumental, your first emotional one. So before that, you were just sitting at a desk, kind of processing through stuff. So let's let's go even further back. How did you get into claims? What's what was uh, what was your first gig, and why? Purely stumbled into it like the rest of us, right? Or a majority of us. So following college, I left college. I worked for the college basketball team at the, at the time, and my head coach happened to get fired so I was done with that school didn't want to be in, involved with anything to do with athletics anymore so I was walking the earth like Kane basically <laughs> and I had a friend that worked at an insurance company in the mailroom and he said you know what call a temp agency get in with an insurance company it's, it's a good gig so that's exactly what I did I got in with a temp agency and I happened to work for a, a first party medical division where I was just processing payments and I was a part-time receptionist to it in our small office and that's all I did it was it was a paycheck day to day then there was an opening for an adjuster position and the manager pulled me aside and he said hey listen there's going to be an opening right now here's the salary you get benefits my hand was out before he finished saying benefits he had he had you at hello he, he did he did it all this I'm this young kid uh, and now I'm, I'm getting benefits all of a sudden I took it but you had no adjustment experience zero Zero. Other than what I saw in the files, and, and that's one thing I, I, I did make it a point when I was I was going through all those the bill payments and, and doing my thing. I was trying to learn the job, and I was learning what there, there was an adjuster that was struggling and why is she struggling, but this person's doing a great job. So I tried to to learn a little bit more, and then I'd have some of the adjusters saying, "Hey, can you take this extra task for me? I'm a little behind. Can you help me out with this?" Rather than the typical typical paying the bill and then filing it away back in the uh, paper file days. So I. I learned a little bit more but I came in with zero zero adjusting experience so entry level entry level and how did that go it went fine once I came in the door as an adjuster we had an adjuster licensing program where we had some classroom study it was basically prepping me to get me ready to take the adjusters exam uh, how, how long was that period six to eight weeks it probably somewhere in that range a lot of it was self-study at the time they were they were trying out a new process but a lot of it was self-study just getting ready to take the test so there you are you're new you're getting paid you're getting paid to study you gotta love that you pass your exams I assume I did first try uh, that one I did that one was first try <laughs> Wyoming adjuster license that was a different story yeah okay, okay. they put you right in the line of fire Absolutely. Uh, I, I still remember my first call, which was crazy. I, Let's hear it. I, I had an experienced adjuster. She sat next to me. She goes, okay, that's what we have to do. This is what you're going to do. And it was a disaster of a call. I was nervous. Anyway, I did not want to talk on a phone. I, I didn't like this job, but I was getting benefits at the time. I, I was worried about the, the telephone aspect of things. I pick up the phone, and a young child picks up the phone. Say, I'm wait, wait. So, so was the call coming in, or was the call going out? Outbound, outbound call. Okay. Claim was already established. I had to touch base to talk about okay. the injury claim. So I reach out. Child answers the phone, and young child. Well, I introduce myself. I'm John Bachman from So and So Insurance, and the child says, "Oh, hi. Do you like football?" 
I, yeah, of course. Well, I didn't know what to say at the time, so I look over it at, at, at the other adjuster. She's giving me the hands of, just talk, just talk. And I said, well, yeah. And he said, do you like the Eagles? And he happened to be from Pennsylvania. And I said, well, no, I, I like the Patriots. And he said, the Patriots suck, and he hung up on me. And that was my first call as an adjuster. Uh, that, that portended well, I, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, what was your first meaningful call? At what, at what point, so you're uncomfortable, you don't like the phone, you like the benefits. Okay, so at what point can you remember roughly when you you were thinking, oh, this actually isn't that bad. I, I almost kind of like it. Yeah, so one of the things, and throughout my career, is I always like these side gigs. So I was working in this first-party medical unit, handling med pay and, and personal injury protection claims, and I got pegged to handle New York litigation matters. So uh, provider lawsuits would come in, they'd sue us for not for denying a bill, and I was initially I was handling the arbitrations and the, and the lawsuits in-house through local attorneys, and that's when I knew, wow, this is this is a pretty cool gig where I get to do something that nobody else in the company is doing. That it's it's me and my my boss at the time. We're doing this, and a few months into that I, I had to start uh, appearing for hearings I would go with our, our in-house counsel and just being able to observe these different hearings was unbelievable that nobody else really got to do it I'm this young kid coming in here doing this you almost got a law degree I don't know if I go that far okay, okay. <laughs> okay. so you started out in casualty doing uh, doing the med pay part for auto right auto auto med pay so, uh, so piece piece together how you you know kind of wound your way through because you've pretty much touched everything you you do multi line you so you've done property you've done casualty auto a little bit of this a little bit of that I even saw on your LinkedIn profile that you did product liability so kind of wind us through how did how were you able to get exposed to so many different things so the the first carrier I worked for. It, very unique company and with a lot of good opportunities for me as well and they had a nice uh, career path for claims professionals and I actually started midstream with starting in the, the injury a lot of the other folks had to start on the, the auto property damage side of things so I came in midstream and was able to work as a, a hybrid adjuster to our bodily injury department so our liability department for the auto damage that department evolved and started taking homeowner liability claims as well and, and then some property damage liability claims. And then when things started to get a little bit stale for me, I had a, a, a guy, that, a great manager over there at the company, who, who took me aside one day and goes, you know, why don't you come over to property? And I told him, I don't know, the first thing about property, why, why do I want to do that? And he said, you know, I, I see some leadership potential in you. And, you should be touching everything right now and if you go down this track you get a good opportunity of being in leadership at some point so i had to think about it my wife worked for the company at the time as well and i called her up we we have a child on the way right right away just bought our first house and i'm going is this a risk i want to take and, and we decide you know yeah absolutely and um took it and never looked back and so this department this property department was unique because not only did we handle personal lines we did handle some product liability because we had a, a big commercial customer that we did business for and got exposed to again some claims that nobody else gets exposed to it it, it was a great opportunity in that company and found myself in that in that leadership track now my current carrier 
this is a true multi-line unit. It's soup to nuts. I, I, I am so impressed by our team where these adjusters, they pick up the phone, they could be handling a uh, hit while parked motor vehicle accident, and then the very next call they're handling a trademark infringement for one of our commercial customers. It, so, so that's interesting because that seems wildly complicated. You know, you, we train a lot of these folks in insurance. We put them in silos, and it takes a long time for them to become subject matter experts. And here they are being able to juggle a lot of complicated things from different different types of exposures. Uh, Casualty is very different than property and how it's handled. Um, are these like seasoned people? How, how do these people get to that kind of position where they can handle such a uh, various and sundry types of uh, claims that come in? Ironically, there aren't a lot of people that are very seasoned on our team. We do have some seasoned adjusters that have been with, with the company for years, and it's great to have them as, as support. But a lot of these folks are homegrown. They started in right out of college, and I, I, I don't know how they did it. If I came in at that age trying to handle this amount of claims, I might have been gone. Or might have, I might have seen the positive of it, and, and what these these guys are seeing, uh, it's spicing it up all day long for me. Uh, where I'm handling all the, all the different claims that it's not going to get stale for me. It's it's not the same rear-end motor vehicle accident day after day after day. Where it's spiced up for me. Um, but going going back to how how can they handle these claims? I don't know. I don't know how these kids do it. Honestly, it, it's we have some good resources in place for them. We have good support structure in our leadership team and our, 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 our property specialists, our liability specialists that the adjusters lean on. And it's that support structure is really what helps them through it. It sounds like the company must really encourage and support continuing education. Absolutely. Yeah, so designations are huge with our company. Um, it, it wasn't big with my last company. Uh, yeah, there was a, we had seminars all the time of, of soft skills. Uh, technical skills, but it was it wasn't a big push on the designations. I, since I joined this this team, I can't believe the alphabet soup behind all these people's names, and I go in there with nothing behind my name. I, I feel I feel naked on my business card, so I'm working hard on mine right now. <laughs> so uh, property casualty, um, product liability. Which which one do you favor? Which one do you which one do you like to work on? God, that's a crazy question. Now that's. That's like, oh, you like them all the same? It's like your children? Do you like them all the same? Yeah, it's like Jerry Seinfeld said. Uh, which episode of Seinfeld is my favorite? It's like taking a breath. My next yeah. one's my favorite. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, which types of claims are more challenging? It, it, it's going to be those uh, big big casualty claims, whether it be a construction defect claim, a trademark infringement claim, um, where there's there's transition of insurance. Um, who can come into play for the insurance, uh, where the investigation is so much up front that it can go a number of ways that I may be responsible. We may have a, uh, a another co-insured on, on the policy. It, it, it gets very difficult in, in some of those claims. So uh, casualty claims are well known for having reserves, and we kind of talked about that before the, the podcast started. Uh, it's kind of art, kind of science. So, uh, in your experience, kind of kind of walk us through the reserving process. What what are you thinking as you're setting them up? How much how much supervision is put 
is how much leeway are is are you allowed, and then how much does the company between the lawyers and others that are involved that are more expert in the specific litigation that may occur, how how, how do they come in afterwards? Because I actually don't know how this process works. Yeah, so it, it, it's a major hierarchy. It, in, in for my previous carrier as well, but it, it, it's very structured here uh, at, at my current carrier, where every adjuster has a set limit of liability, uh, uh, reserving um, limit, and that can be for any number of lines, it, whether it be auto property damage, um, casualty, etc. And then if it exceeds their authority, where they feel where where we feel comfortable they're at, they then go to their supervisor. Above the supervisor, manager has their set authority. Then we have property and liability specialists that have higher, greater authority, home office attorneys, and then our VP of, of claims has the, the, the top authority. Yeah. So it goes right down that, that hierarchy. Uh, can you, uh, we, we talked about the initial claim. Um, I, I'm on the property side, not cat. What are what are some you you, uh, you pretty much deal with New England, but your your the company you deal with is actually um, all over the place. Um, walk us. What are some Nat Cat claims that you remember that you actually had to personally work on? I, I personally I, I was deployed during uh, 2012 in St. Louis. Uh, there were tornadoes and hailstorm major hailstorms uh, in April and May of 2012, and also that year uh, Sandy. I, I, was, I went down to Connecticut to handle some of those uh, flooding claims at the time. Um, so that's that's me personally handling it. Just recently, our, our department we helped out our regional offices, our, our Southwest regional office, got impacted pretty heavily with uh, Hurricane Harvey coming through. So we took some overflow claims up in our office as well. Um, and then Irma came up through, wasn't as big of an impact, and we didn't we didn't offer as much help at that time. So how does how does one become an adjuster? So we, we also had this conversation be, beforehand. So um, I'm, I'm thinking of the young professional that might be listening to this, and they're touched. They hear that story like, I want to do that. I want to help people in that particular way. So what's, what's a route for someone to uh, get into adjusting? Well, well, now you have the risk management programs in some schools. You have the INVEST program, um, which is great, getting young people um, uh, excited about the insurance industry. But beyond that as well, uh, a lot of the carriers, they do have entry level right into the claims departments, whether it be through a first notice of loss team, where you're taking the inbound calls, setting up claims, and then getting it off to the, the more complex units. But there are still uh, carriers out there that have um, entry-level auto damage adjusters, homeowner adjusters, right out of the gate. Um, one, one story that I was thinking of, and I know we touched on it briefly, is I, I was very impressed when a, a, a guy came in to interview for a job at my last carrier. It was for an entry-level property adjuster uh, for homeowners. And he had a construction background. Him and his, him and his father um, built homes. And, when he decided he wanted to join uh, the insurance industry, what he did is he went out and he got his adjuster's license on his own. He went out and got certified on an estimating platform on his own. And I saw that on a resume and I'm going, man, and I know my boss's boss said the same thing of, let's bring this guy in. We're starting him right away. And that's what we did. We didn't have to worry about onboarding him through um, training him for the adjuster's license or anything like that. 
he was ready to go. We, we taught him the systems, we taught him our claim types, and, and he was good to go. He set himself up perfectly, and, and if more people did that, they'd set themselves apart from the rest of the field. In uh, part of our conversation as well was that uh, that was such a huge advantage because a lot of times an entry-level person will come in, uh, they don't have the certification. So the first few weeks are uh, study for the certification, but sometimes it's you have to pass. If you don't pass, you're out. Or basically you can't get hired. Here's a book. You can't get hired until you pass. So it's such a huge advantage to try to get the certification before you go into any kind of entry-level position. Absolutely. You're doing it at your pace at that point. And, and where some of those carriers, they hand you the, the, the book, the manual of this is how you pass the such and such state adjusting exam and read through it. And you know what? You better have that license within eight weeks. Or you fail it once, you better pass it the second time. Where you're doing it on your own your own pace you're golden and, and, and you just set yourself apart where again it's it's not wasted time but you're that much further ahead than everybody else are there any particular states how, how does that work is it in uh the production license brokerage licenses you basically pass one state exam and then you 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 become a, a non-resident in all the other states and you just have to pay a fee how does it work on the adjustment side and if i if that's not the case if, the, if there are if there are more than one exam that you have to take across the country are there any states that are recommended it, it's really changed over the years, um, but there's there's a couple of different ways at it. So a company adjuster license is probably the best bet at it, but you have to be associated with a company at the time. Um, and I know from my experience, Connecticut and New Hampshire, you pass those tests, it's reciprocal to all the other major, uh, major ones. Um, I've since transferred a lot of my uh, licenses over to independent adjuster licenses, so instead of just needing seven to handle the whole country, I have 38 or 39. Um, so that, that's a, an oddball situation. I can't honestly say which one's the best one, uh, but I know this individual, uh, when he passed his test, it was a random state I never even thought of, but it did have reciprocity with all the states that we, we needed him to do so. so. A little bit of research helps you. So if if I'm trying to understand this, so there are two types of licenses. There's a company license. So if you if you go that route, the state is expecting that there's a company kind of either sponsoring you or or you're working in-house for them. And there's a different exam for an independent adjuster. Precisely. Yes. Yeah, so so a company adjuster, and, and not every state requires those as well. There, there's a handful of them but you need to be doing the business for a company. Whereas the independent adjuster, you can work for a company, you can work on your own, you can work for a TPA. Um, part of my transition, and it, it was driven by the company that I was working for, because we were starting some TPA business as well. And my company adjuster license wasn't going to work for some of those states. Um, so there are different requirements as that comes through. Okay, so now let's transition to adjusters that are listening to this they're already licensed that's old hat they passed that exam a long time ago uh, career development so you're a supervisor you have a team uh, you're multi-line you've pretty much seen you you can handle anything that's thrown at you and and juggle that so how as an adjuster gets in and starts to get his feet wet starts to get comfortable they enjoy the career what kind of recommendations would you have for them to 
continue to grow, to con- continue to go better? Where can they go with that? Well, that's a tough one. It's a very general statement. And uh, the way I like to look at my uh, coaching comes with Stephen Covey, his, uh, his platinum rule of don't treat people how I want to be treated, treat people how they want to be treated. And we have to tailor that to each individual. Um, for the most part, designations. You can learn so much about all different types of claims uh, going down that route. And granted, there's, there's the AIC and CCLA or whatever the other names are. There's a whole host of them, but you, you just continue to learn um, and broaden uh, yourself that way. But also, going out to all these different seminars, uh, the PLRB conference has unbelievable educational seminars. What's the PLRB step for? Oh, you had to add. Property Loss Research Bureau, I think. I Don't call we'll, me we'll, on it. we'll put that on the show notes. Yeah. Uh, but PLRB, it, uh, I believe you have to be members through that, or your company needs to be a member. But great resources. Um, they have remote studying through their website, or they have their conferences that have the in-person uh, seminars. Unbelievable education, educational opportunities there. So um, what about career? What about working in the office? You're a company adjuster. Um, there's politics, all kinds of issues. What what kind of recommendations do you have there? You you've you've kind of survived some of the grenades that have been thrown in your direction. Um, walk us through how how someone should how a young adjuster should be thinking about uh, moving up the ladder within a, within a company. Well, I think it's it's any industry. Um, it's really the relationships. It's all. I, it took me a little bit to learn that piece of it, uh, but it's 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 getting involved with people that that have a lot of pull and, and learn from them and, and getting mentors. Um, it took me a little bit to to learn that lesson as well, but I had some great people that were pushing me that I didn't really see them at mentors at the time, but they pushed me in directions that I needed to be pushed and saddle up with those folks. I, I'm telling you and and. Just expand your network as much as possible. That's really how you how you move yourself forward is is getting to know more and more people. And it and it's not that they're going to move you forward, but you might be able to connect through somebody else, and you might be able to help them out. And people see that and go, man, you know what? This person, this is my kind of person. Yeah, it's uh, kind of what we were talking about beforehand. But for the audience sake. Uh, John and I had dinner <laughs> before this conversation, so we've, this is like the second time we've had this interview. Um, but it, it's how do you want to be known when people Google your name? If someone goes on LinkedIn and they see that you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of connections, what goes through someone's mind when they see that? Wow, that person must be really connected. They must really know what they're doing. Connections help. Uh, we also talked about bringing value to it, like being able, not connecting for connecting's sake, but uh, helping that other person and, and, and providing uh, v- value when it comes to that. So uh, I, I'm curious, what got you, what made you think about writing the article for INS Nerds? We keep talking about serendipity here, uh, and that's really what it is. Uh, Tony, he happened to reach out to me on LinkedIn, just a random one, and I looked at it first going, should I accept this? And it, it took who, who is this guy that wears red pants and Superman shirts to conferences? Yeah, and he's one of those alphabet soup guys. I'm, I was intimidated by seeing that. Uh, but then I started reading a little bit, and it got me into reading uh, the INS uh, nerds articles. And 
and then I, there was a, a, either a Twitter or a LinkedIn pop-up about, hey, write an article for us. And I noticed a lot of the articles that, that are on the site, there aren't many claims ones. And I, I kept reading about, oh, this is why I love insurance, this is why I love insurance. And I said, you know what? I love insurance because of what I can do in claims. And I said, you know what? It's a great story. Somebody needs to hear this. So uh, I just reached out. Next thing you know, Carly says, send it in, and we'll get it up on the site. And uh, the whole experience has been very humbling. Uh, we actually just had a regional uh, planning meeting off-site with uh, our leadership staff. And uh, it got brought up about how, how I'm an insurance nerd and uh, it, it, how the article, it, it means so much to me in this past year. Yeah. Will you write more articles? You better now, now the, now the pressure's on. Now the pressure's on. Uh, so, in terms of your career and your development, just personally, what, uh, what have you used to stay productive? You're, you're at this, you know, high level, you've achieved quite a bit, um, how do you stay productive? What, what kind of tips or tricks or tools do you have to manage the you know resources of time that you the, the limited resources of time that you have? Yeah, I, I had to laugh. It was a few weeks back. I heard you interviewing somebody, and they said coffee. Yeah. I, I'm the I'm the first one in the office most days. Um, we have to compete over who's making the coffee. Uh, but I get that pot of coffee on as soon as possible. Um, but beyond that, I, I try not to get too bombarded in, in the technology. There's so much of it out there right now. And I try not to get too big into to-do lists because then it becomes too overwhelming. But I do throw together paper paper to-do lists on my desk right in front of me. And I use I, I lean on Outlook. I know that's antiquated as well, but the task list. And I, I'm a slave to my calendar. Uh, and, and that's when I have a plan set in place each day and I follow it, that's when things move well for me. But in terms of the technology, I, I'm an old soul. Yeah, I, I've been uh, bouncing around between sticky notes and uh, calendars and Asana and Wonderlist. It's like there's almost too much technology now. It's I, I I can't handle another piece. So I when a when someone calls me and asks me for a meeting, it's like no, I can't do it. I, I can't I can't accept another piece of technology to, to try to rule my life. Well, I'm still trying to figure out how to link up my the calendar on my phone to my wife's dry erase board because I screw everything she writes up there is golden. I can't keep up with it. Yeah. I got to do a better job. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I uh, our calendars are linked and her notifications pop up on mine all the time and sometimes it's like I get I freeze because it's like oh my god I have who is this person I, I have to call this person and it's not until I dig in I realize oh that's for my wife that's not for me <laughs> so that's uh, that's technology um, so I forgot what I was gonna say where were we going with this Oh, any books? <laughs> I should keep this on for a bloopers. <laughs> um, what books have uh, in your life? You're, you had already mentioned Covey, so I'm, I'm assuming you've read that. That one's been very influential in my life. But what, what books have you know really come across that you've read that have really helped you out in your career? So Covey, Carnegie, the big ones. Uh, one fairly recently was 8020 Manager. And that's a Richard uh, Richard Koch. He he wrote the 8020 principle, 
and one thing that really stuck out to me about that one, and we talked about it briefly, is he has a, a section about super connecting, and that um, every connection we have is a lottery ticket. And yeah, you can buy the more expensive tickets, like your degree and, and certifications, and it's a lot of time involved in those, but it's all these dream tickets, like what we're doing right now, um, every connection is another lottery ticket, and that one it might win you a million dollars, might win me a million dollars, might win somebody else a million dollars, but those connections are huge, and he goes into a great deal about that in that book. And, and then for adjusters specifically, uh, Carl Van, he, he's a trainer out of New Orleans, um, I believe it's the International Insurance Institute, he wrote a book many years ago, many years ago, 15 years ago or so. Uh, called the eight characteristics of an awesome adjuster and and it's great tips about soft skills for adjusters it's great book. i'll put those on the show notes so am i a green ticket or a red ticket well you're a green ticket uh, yeah good answer you didn't cost too much money and you're not taking I, up too much of my time <laughs> and i bought you dinner <laughs> well that's still to be argued <laughs> okay uh, this has been a great conversation, and I appreciate it very much. Your story was very touching. I will link to that. I hope you write more articles about it. Uh, I think the whole art of adjusting is not well understood by a lot of the people that are in insurance, are listening to this podcast, that read our articles, and I really wanted to try to translate what you do in a way that can get people that are listening to this get to touch them say what you you're not just accountants on the other side there's your you know in some cases you're babysitters in some cases you're you know you're well beyond that you're you're caretakers in in some regards so I, I hope I did a good job translating that part of it no I appreciate that it, and it goes back to the Stephen Covey principle again of treating the person on the other end of the phone how they want to be treated yeah this might be a type a person that you know what send me the estimate in an email I want it right now then you might have somebody else that you have to have a 45 minute hour long conversation because they need somebody to talk to and you, and you have to cater yourself to them and, and it really means a lot when you you make such an impact on their life in the long run my guest this week has been john bachman john thanks so much thank you very much nick i appreciate it